Okay, I'm hitting it. Okay, it's recording. Okay. Have you heard this phrase in our culture? This is my truth. Because for those of us who are Christ followers, that is a confusing phrase because from our perspective, there's only one truth, and that's God's truth. And so if you have a truth and I have a truth, and those truths are not aligned with God's truth, then those aren't really truths. Because this phrase, my truth, has really taken over what's supposed to be my perspective. Because there is a truth, and then you might have your perspective of a situation, and I might have my perspective of a situation, and we could be viewing something completely different, but that doesn't change what truth is. That doesn't change what's actually true. And I, I worked with high school students for a long time, so this would come up quite frequently. And I, and I tried to explain the importance of holding firm to the fact that there's only one truth and that that's God's truth because the, the truth is, in a world without one truth, that is chaos. Like We do not want to live in a world where the truth can change from place to place and situation to situation. So my son, he's learning um, um, measuring in the metric system right now, and he's learning about all the different systems of measurement. And I, and I tried to tell him a little bit about the history of the foot. And this word foot for measurement has meant something different all over the place and all across time. In fact, I was reading on Wikipedia, which speaking of truth is not always <laughs> true, but we're going to take this with a grain of salt because it's not mission critical. But I was reading about in Germany specifically, from city to city, there were 19 different measurements called Fuß or foot. So imagine trying to measure anything in Germany and going from city to city and the measurement changing constantly. Can you imagine what type of small scale chaos that would create? And now we're creating it on a larger scale by calling truth my truth and your truth and saying there are multiple versions of the truth. I don't want to live in a world where a unit of measurement is arbitrary, and I don't want to live in a world where truth is arbitrary either. There's only, maybe you've heard this phrase before, right? There's two sides to every story, and the truth usually lies somewhere in the middle. But now it feels like we have two truths to every story, and maybe a third or a fourth thrown in there anyway. Unless that you're tempted to think that this is a problem of encroaching liberalism, Let's not forget which side of the political arena coined the term alternative facts. There seems to be a problem all across our culture with deciding what is and isn't true and having only one truth. But I believe that knowing and understanding truth is, is more important than ever in our mothering. And this is what I would like to suggest to all of you today. Living in freedom means resting in God's truth and allowing our children to rest in that truth. Living in freedom, it means that we're resting in God's truth, which is the truth, which is the only truth. And in turn, when we rest in that truth, we allow our children to rest in that truth as well. God's truth is the truth. God's truth is the only truth. God cannot tell a lie because that goes against God's character, which is that God is truth. Everything God has ever said is perfectly true. Now that we've established that God's truth is the truth, and our truth, if it doesn't align with God's truth, is in fact not true at all. If our truth doesn't align with what God is saying, then it's, then it's not true. 
And today, that is good news for us, because in order to be set free, we need to believe what God is saying about us, rather than the lies that we are telling ourselves about ourselves as mothers, about ourselves as people, and about how we view ourselves. So the first truth I'd like to look at today, God's truth for you this morning, is that you are loved and accepted unconditionally. I loved on day three um, of this week's study when Jeannie wrote about the distinction between living for God's love and acceptance versus living from God's love and acceptance, right? Because living for God's love and acceptance implies that we have not earned it yet, that we are striving so hard for that love and acceptance. But the truth, as we learned in our study and that we're going to talk about this, this morning, is that we, we already have God's love and acceptance. It's a promise. So we're going to look um, at a couple different places in 1 John this morning. And uh, first we're going to look at chapter 2, verse 28, and then we're going to go into chapter 3, verse 3. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. But you know that he is righteous. You may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Do you hear the tenderness in this? See, John is writing to his listeners, to remind them how deeply loved and cherished they are by God, to give them confidence in God's love, because God calls us his children. And while we're not sinless, we're pure because of him. His purity and his righteousness is enough to make us so. So we don't have to be mired in shame and guilt and self-doubt because God has covered that. He looks at us and he sees dearly loved children people that he would do anything for. And in fact, he already has. Now, I could, I could sit here and I could pull hundreds of verses about how much God loves you, but the truth is it's just going to be words until we're ready to hear them. So if this is you today and it's hard to hear those words and to really accept them, I want to ask something of you. I want you to open your heart just a little bit to the fact that the beloved that God is writing about is you. You personally, not you the universal you, and not you the person next to you that you think is really great, but actually you. And I want you to just do this exercise with me. In a minute, I'm going to ask you just to close your eyes and put your hands out as if you're receiving a gift. And the gift I'm going to give to you is not from me. I'm going to read to you some words from scripture that God says about you. And I want you to just take a moment and hear it. So... All of these words um, are in scripture and on the back of your handout, it's written out and I have a link there if you'd like to look at and and check all those verses out. But I'm just going to read it over you without the references. So if you would close your eyes and receive your gift. While you were sinners, Christ died for you. While you were still hostile towards me, you were reconciled to me by the death of my son. Sin doesn't have the last word. Grace does. Now everyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. You who have believed are born again. 
I have adopted you. You are children of God, heirs of God. You are no longer orphans, you belong to me, and I love you as a perfect father. In my eyes, you are a brand new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. Sin is no longer your master, for you died to sin and are now alive to me. You are finally free from the slavery of sin and death. There is now no condemnation for you. All your sins are forgiven. All your unrighteousness has been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. You are now righteous in my sight with the very righteousness of my perfect son. You have been saved by grace. You have been justified by faith. You are utterly secure in me. Nothing will be able to separate you from my love in Christ Jesus. No one is able to snatch you from my hand, and I will never leave you nor forsake you. This is what God has to say about you. These are words of blessing spoken over you. Now, I remember I was having this one uh, difficult stretch in college where I was just feeling particularly unlovable. And in that, in that time, I prayed that the Lord would give me a gift. I prayed that he would give me something that was just for me, that I would know that he loved me. And uh, I was riding in the car, and I, I looked out the window, and I saw this like field full of mist, and there was just this beautiful deer running through the field. And it might sound like a, a small thing, and it might sound like a coincidence, but I knew that it wasn't. I knew that God was giving me just a little piece of beauty, a little piece of stillness. And immediately my, my heart thought about that psalm about the deer panting for the water and my soul longing for him. And I knew that God was just telling me that he heard me and that he saw me and that he loved me. And the realization wrecked me a little bit, to be honest, because when you feel the weight and the size of God's love, it can be overwhelming. It can be emotional and even a little crushing in the best, in the best way. See, when we believe that God loves us, really believe it and accept it, how much more are we able to pass that on to our children? When we feel the love to that depth, how much better can we communicate that to our kids? this deep comfort of knowing that we're loved and accepted. There's a, there's a book, and I meant to bring it, but, you know, I didn't. I forgot. But I'll tell you about it. It's called The Blessing. I don't have a slide for that. Okay, it's called The Blessing, and I did put it on your note sheet. And, and the subtitle is Giving the Gift of Unconditional Love and Acceptance. And it's, a, it's really a very practical book, which is why I like it so much. Outlining how we as parents can be intentional about communicating this love and acceptance to our children. And it, and it kind of gives you these, this guideline whether you grew up in a home where this was practiced or whether you're breaking cycles that you came from. It outlines sort of these five biblical elements included in the blessing. And the first one is meaningful and appropriate touch. The second is a spoken message. The third is attaching high value to the one being blessed. The fourth is picturing a special future for him or her. And the fifth is an active commitment to fulfill the blessing. And this book is it's just a great resource for someone looking for a roadmap on how to do this love and, love and acceptance in their home. And, and one thing I feel like everybody 
might, if they read it, have a different area that stood out to them. But the one that stood out to me a bit was um, spoken message because I always sort of subscribe to this idea that like actions speak louder than words, but that doesn't mean that the words aren't important. And in blessing our children and communicating love and acceptance to them, we have to use actual words and words from the scripture. And so that was just one thing that stood out to me. But if you're, if you're looking on a very practical level on what this could look like in the home, I do recommend that book. Our job as as parents is to communicate to our kids how loved and cherished they are by both us and by their Heavenly Father. Because God's truth, the truth, is that you are loved and accepted unconditionally. And so the second truth I want to take a look at today is this. The weight of expectation you feel is not from me. Now, this, you're supposed to picture that like God said it to you. Obviously, I don't expect anything of you. <laughs> we all face so many expectations and so much weight. Now, I don't know if you've seen the movie Encanto, but this beautiful musical little film actually highlights perfectly what happens in a home when there's too much weight of expectation on the kids. So there's this magical multi-generational family and they're living in a home and they have magical gift. Each one has their own unique gift given to them by this magical candle. Um, And the first song is beautiful and fun. And very quickly you can see that there are some cracks in the foundation of this family because everybody is feeling a lot of weight, of expectation. So the one sister, uh, she can make beautiful flowers with her magical gift. And she's the perfect one and the golden child. And the expectation to be perfect all the time is crushing her. And in her song, she sings, um, what could I do if I just knew it didn't need to be perfect? It just needed to be, and they let me be. She has no freedom to express herself or to explore who she is or, or what she can do or what she wants to do because she's so busy trying to live up to her family's expectations the whole time. And then we have this other sister, Louisa, and she has the gift of supernatural strength. And her song is called Surface Pressure. And this song was a breakout hit, and not just because it's catchy, but because people really related to it on a deep level. And in her song, she sings, Under the surface, I'm pretty sure I'm worthless if I can't be of service. And she sings about the pressure of shouldering all these burdens and having to be so strong all the time. She can never show weakness. And then you get to the youngest daughter, and she has no magical gift at all. The candle skipped her. For whatever reason, they don't know why. She lives every minute trying to recover from that failure and trying to prove her value to her family in a world of extraordinary people, and she's just ordinary. In her song, she sings, I'm fine, I'm totally fine. I will stand on the side as you shine. I'm not fine, I'm not fine. So we see three different pressures and three different people in the same result. Everyone is bending under the weight of expectation. And we've all at one point or another struggled under the weight of expectation. But Christ's message to us is that my my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So to me, that doesn't sound like the weight of expectation. When it comes to mothering, we we feel pressure from so many angles, right? From other moms, from media, from social media, from books about parenting. Wherever we look, there's just more stuff piled onto the list of things do, things that we should do. And so I 
I thought I would capture that in meme form for you. <laughs> Me, trying to be a good mom, wife, friend, drink enough water, exercise, cook, clean, text everyone back, stay sane, and be happy. This is what I feel like a lot of the time. We're all losing our minds a little bit. But remember what Christ said? He said, my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And to me, that's not what that looks like. So when we talk about expectations, we should talk about what Christ expects of us. Because that's the expectation that matters. What does Christ expect of us? I think it's pretty simple. He laid it out for us. Love God and love others. But he doesn't expect us to do it perfectly, does he? When we fail, which is inevitable, he expects, he expects us to confess it, to come before him humbly, and then to move on and to continue loving God and loving people. We don't need to carry the weight of our failures anymore because he's covered that for us. We don't need to keep striving to be perfect, and we don't need to live in shame when we make mistakes. So let's jump back to 1 John again and further along in chapter 3. Starting in verse 19, by this we shall know that we are the truth. We are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of the son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Whenever our heart condemns us, meaning that whenever our truth is telling us that we're worthless and that we don't deserve to feel forgiveness and that we don't, that we don't deserve to feel the lightness of that easy yoke, and that burden that Christ takes from us, whenever we feel those things and whenever that's the cycle repeating in our head, that's not truth. That's lies. God is greater than our heart. I love that. To me, that means, I read that God is greater than our heart. I read that like God is greater than our, than our feelings. God is greater than the cycles we get stuck in. God is greater than the lies we tell ourselves. God is greater than the shame we get mired in. God is greater than our truth. He's greater than our heart. <clears throat> and of course, like the previous message, the better we are at accepting this for ourselves, the better we will be at passing it on to our kids. They are going to feel plenty of weight of expectation from outside sources. In our culture, and I don't just mean our country, but I mean our, our western suburbs, our little microcosm, there is a lot of pressure on kids to be accomplished and to achieve. It is not a unique problem, but it is certainly a stronger problem where we live. That pressure is gonna weigh on them heavily and we have to do everything we can to lift that burden off of them and not to pile on. And you know, a lot of kids feel pressure internally. One of my children would rip up any piece of art where the coloring was outside of the lines. I did not teach them that, I don't think so. But that is an internal perfection gene that's just running through. It's an undercurrent for that child. I have another child who feels pressure for everyone to be happy and feel loved all the time. And anytime someone is sad or feeling left out, it's like a personal affront. 
Pressure can come from our insides, from the unfair expectations we place on ourselves just based on our wiring and our personalities. And the weight of expectation, it can also come from home. And there are many ways that we can verbally and non-verbally communicate expectation on our kids. And, and some of that's okay. We should have expectations for them that they, that they brush their teeth, that they help out around the home. Like, some expectations are, are healthy, but we need to be cautious that our expectations are aligned with the Bible and the scriptures and not with the culture around us. And to illustrate this point, I'll tell you about how I failed miserably at this. So my son just turned eight. And he wants to be a YouTube gamer when he grows up. And he's already practicing by keeping a running monologue anytime he's playing video games. And he also says, let's go, and yeet a lot, which I think is part of the training. <laughs> but he did tell me he's going to buy me a beach house when he gets rich. So I'm like kind of on board with this plan. But here's my failure. Do you want to hear what I said when he told me this? I said, well, that's a pretty good plan, but... You know, you might want to go to college and study programming, and then you can actually make video games, and that's a good fallback option if you don't get famous on YouTube. That's what I said to a seven-year-old. Some seven-year-olds tell you they want to be unicorns when they grow up. <laughs> Do you think it is helpful to set realistic <laughs> expectations for them? No, it is not. That is not helpful. And in this moment, honestly, it was such a wake-up call for me because I was like, hold up. I'm communicating expectations I didn't even realize I had. I expect you to go to college in the first place. Do I expect that? Is that biblical? I don't know. We could debate that all day, but I didn't realize it was in there. I communicated, you're going to go to college. You're going to major in something practical that has a good return on investment. <laughs> really, I think I was just saying that from a place of fear of being a mom with like a 35-year-old aspiring YouTuber living in my basement. <laughs> I was communicating so much expectation without even realizing it. And I'm, I'm almost glad I had such a glaring failure because it now has helped me to identify, hold on, what am I communicating with what I'm saying? What am I teaching my kids about what I expect of them? And is that even biblical or am I just pulling that in from the culture around me? Am I just saying that because that's what everybody around us aims for and does and tries to get their kids to achieve? And a lot of what I was saying was coming from culture and not from the Lord. The weight of expectation does not come from the Lord, not these expectations. And we need our kids to hear that from us as well. This weight of expectation you feel, it's, it's not from God and it's not from me. And that brings us to our third message. What are you good at? If you had a time in life, I hope you've had a time in life when you felt like you were good at something, whether it was a job that you excelled at or maybe a hobby like crocheting or CrossFit or maybe there was a subject in school that you were really good at. I hope you've got a few things in life that you've been like, yeah, I'm good at that. Well, I'm good at something. Pancake art. I made that. <laughs> With just some squirty bottles of pancake syrup and uh, not the syrup. What do you call it? Dough batter. There we go. Clearly, I'm an expert at pancakes. <laughs> the batter and some food coloring, and I and I just you know started going on the griddle, and I made that perfect piglet. I'm good at pancake art. Although, 
I was like, oh, this is so fun for the kids. I want to make pancake art every Saturday. And then I cleaned up after this pancake art, and I was like, eh, that's a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Enjoy it, kids. But yeah, I'm good at pancake art. I'm good at some other stuff, too. But you know what I've never thought in my head? I've never thought, wow, I'm a good mom. I've never thought that. It feels emotional. I, I just had a baby, too, okay? So give me a break. But even if, even if other people have said to me, hey, you're a good mom. What you did there, that was good. I don't feel that. Sometimes I think, oh, if only you knew. Sure, that sensory bin was magical, but you should have seen the mess, and I left it for days, right? Or, yeah, that party was really fun, but you didn't see how I snapped at my kids because they were interrupting when I was setting up. For every time a comment like that comes through, I've got, um, I've got an excuse for why I was checked out, for why I wasn't present, for why I wasn't good enough. And clearly this is still something I'm working on. I'm asking God to convince me that that's not true. I'm asking God to let the truth seep into my heart and to seep into yours as well. You are a good mom. And I'm a good mom. And maybe you're like me and you're thinking about the mistakes you made even this morning. But you are a good mom. You are. And you know how I know? Because you're here. You're here studying the word of God. You're here sitting in community with other moms, learning from each other, supporting one another, praying for one another. You're here learning how to be the best mom God has called you to be. And that's how I know that you're a good mom. It, it means no matter the mistakes you've made, you are. Let's look at First John one more time. This is from chapter 4. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And this, the love of God, was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. <coughs> Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And this love, it's not that, it's not that we loved God, but it's that he loved us. So we don't need to keep trying so hard to be good enough because God has already covered our failures and our mistakes we're already good enough not because we're flawless and not because we always get it right but because God has made us good before his eyes when we start living and resting in that the natural outpouring is is more love so think of it like a cup maybe you've heard this analogy before but picture it like I've got my cup and it's full of love and I'm pouring it out here and here and here and sometimes I'm hoping I'm going to get a little bit back some places, or maybe I'm, I'm coming back to God and I'm having a quiet time or I'm on a retreat or I'm, I'm asking God to fill my love cup back up, right? So that I can go out and pour it and pour it and pour it. That's one way to live life. But I think the invitation from God is that we, we realign our, our cups because he's got this waterfall of love coming down. And if we arrange our cups and put our cup on top, and we direct ourselves under God's source of love. 
it's going to flow all over. It's going to overflow from us. So we don't have to keep coming back empty. We are loving out of an abundance of his love. And this abundance is the picture that we see over and over again in scripture. God's love is described as abundant. And in other words, that means overflowing. So when we can rest in God's love, when we can believe it, when we can trust what he says, when he says that we're good before his eyes, then we start to see other people as good as well. We start to see everyone else around us as worthy and deserving of love and acceptance and of truly believing that. We're flowing out love all over the place. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Your truth is going to tell you a lot of lies. It's going to tell you that you're not worthy, that you're not deserving of unconditional love and acceptance. Your feelings are going to try to tell you that you're not measuring up, that you're missing the mark and that you're failing. Your feelings are going to tell you that you're not good enough. And your kids are going to experience the same thing. Their feelings are going to tell them lies that are not true about themselves. The invitation from the Father is, is simple. Rest in my love. Abide in my love. First John is, is all about the assurance that we can feel as believers who are truly loved deeply by God. And I believe that this assurance has the power to change, change us, to change us as people and to change us as moms and to change the lives of our kids as well. So let's just call my truth by what it really is. It's often just lies. And this morning, I'm inviting us to hear and to believe God's truth about his love for us. Because living in freedom means resting in God's truth and allowing our children to rest in that truth. I don't know about you, but I could use a little rest. I'll close us in prayer. Lord God, help us to not just hear the truth, but to believe and to receive the truth this morning. That despite our failures and mistakes, and there are many, that you love us and that you accept us and that you wipe the slate clean over and over. I'm so grateful for each woman in this room who's, who's doing this study, who's trying to learn how to be the type of mom that you would have us be. I pray that you would strip away all the weight of expectations and all the lies that we're telling ourselves and just give us a simple path, a simple roadmap for how to love the children you've entrusted us with. Your name I pray. Amen. You're good to go in your group.